23. And in many instances criminal deeds, thousands of elevator boys, clerks, students, traveling men, and others, patronize the questionable literature counter to an alarming extent. 8. The nude in art. For years there has been a great craze after the nude in art, and the realistic in literature. Many art galleries abound in pictures and statuary which cannot fail to fan the fires of sensualism, unless the thoughts of the visitor are trained to the strictest purity. Why should artists and sculptors persist in shocking the finer sensibilities of old and young of both sexes by crowding upon their view representations of naked human forms in attitudes of luxurious abandon? Public taste may demand it. But let those who have the power endeavor to reform public taste. 9. Widely diffused, good men have ever lamented the pernicious influence of a depraved and perverted literature. But such literature has never been so systematically and widely diffused as at the present time. This is owing to two causes, its cheapness and the facility of conveyance. 10. Inflame the passions. A very large proportion of the works thus put in circulation are of the worst character, tending to corrupt the principles to inflame the passions, to excite impure desire, and spread a blight over all the powers of the soul. Brothels are recruited from this more than any other source. Those who search the trunks of convicted criminals are almost sure to find in them one of more of these works, and few prisoners who can read at all fail to enumerate among the causes which led them into crime the unhealthy stimulus of this depraved and poisonous literature. Startling sins. 1. Nameless Crimes. The nameless crimes identified with the hushed-up sodomite cases, the revolting condition of the school of sodomy, the revelations of the divorce court concerning the condition of what is called national nobility, and upper classes, as well as the unclean spirit which attaches to society papers, has revealed a condition which is perfectly disgusting. 2. And faithfulness. And faithfulness amongst husbands and wives in the upper classes is common and adultery rife everywhere. Mistresses are kept in all directions, thousands of these rich men have at least two, and not seldom three establishments. 3. A frightful increase. Facts which have come to light during the past ten years show a frightful increase in every form of licentiousness, the widely extended area over which whoredom and degrading lust have thrown the glamour of their fascinating toils is simply appalling. 4. Moral carnage. We speak against the fearful moral carnage, would to God that some unmistakable manifestation of the wrath of God should come in and put a stop to this huge seed plot of national demoralization. We are reaping in this disgusting center the harvest of corruption which has come from the toleration and encouragements given by the legislature, the police, and the magistrates to immorality, vice and sin. The awful fact is that we are in the midst of the foul and fetid harvest of lust aided by some of the most exalted personages in the land, assisted by thousands of educated and wealthy whoremongers and adulterers, we are reaping also, in individual physical ugliness and deformity, that which has been sown, the puny, ill-formed and mentally weak youths and maidens, men and women, to be seen in large numbers in our principal towns and cities, represent the widespread nature of the curse, which has, in a marked manner, impaired the physique, the morality, and the intelligence of the nation. 5. Daily Press. The Daily Press has not had the moral courage to say one word, the quality of demoralizing novels such as have been produced from the impure brain and in clean imaginations, the subtle, clever and fascinating undermining of the white-winged angel of purity by modern sophists, whose prurient and vicious volumes were written to throw a halo of charm and beauty about the brilliant courtesan and the splendid adulteress, the mixing up of lust and love, 
the making of corrupt passion to stand in the garb of a deep, lasting, and holy affection. These are some of the hideous seedlings which, hidden amid the glamour and fascination of the seeming angel of light, have to so large an extent corrupted the morality of the country. 6. Nightly Exhibitions Some of you know what the nightly exhibitions in these garlanded temples of Horatian Senna were. There is the variety theatre with its disgusting ballet dancing, and its shamelessly indecent photographs exhibited in every direction. What a clear gain to morality it would be if the accursed houses were to burn down, and forbidden by law ever to be rebuilt or reopened. The whole scene is designed to act upon and stimulate the lusts and evil passions of corrupt men and women. 7. Confidence and Exposure I hear some of you say, cannot some influence be brought to bear upon this plague spot? Will the legislature or Congress do nothing? Is the law and moral right to continue to be trodden underfoot? Are the magistrates and the police powerless? The true file and the harlots and whoremongers are master of the situation, the moral sense of the legislators, the magistrates, and the police is so low that anything like confidence is at present out of the question. 8. The Sisterhood of Shame and Death It is enough to make angels weak to see a great mass of America's wealthy and better-class sons full of zeal and on fire with interest in the surging hundreds of the sisterhood of shame and death. Many of these men act as if they were if they do not believe they are dogs. No poor hunted dog in the streets was ever attracted by a yelping crowd of curs more than is the fresh girl or chance of a maid in the accursed streets of our large cities. Price is no object, nor parentage, nor home. It is the truth to affirm that hundreds and thousands of well-dressed and educated men come in order to the gratification of their lusts, and to this end they frequent this whole district, they have reached this stage, they are being burned up in this fire of lust, men of whom God says, having eyes full of adultery and that cannot cease sin. 9. Lawmakers. Now should any member of the legislature rise up and testify against this earthly hell, and speak in defense of the moral manhood and womanhood of the nation. He would be greeted as a fanatic, and laughed down amid the rice of cheers, such has been the experience again and again. Therefore attack this great stronghold which for the past thirty years has warred and is warring against our social manhood and womanhood, and constantly undermining the moral life of the nation, against this citadel of licentiousness, this metropolitan center of crime, and vice, and sin. Direct your full blast of righteous and manly indignation. 10. Temples of Lust. Here stand the foul and splendid temples of lust, intemperance, and passion, into whose vortex tens of thousands of our sons and daughters are constantly being drawn. Let it be remembered that this whole area represents the most costly conditions, and proves beyond question that an enormous proportion of the wealthy manhood of the nation, and we as citizens sustain, partake, and share in this carnival of death. Is it any wonder that the robust type of godly manhood which used to be found in the legislature is sadly wanting now, or that the wretched caricatures of manhood which find form and place in such papers as, truth, and the, world, are accepted as representing, modern society? 11. P-U-R-I-D-A and I see manhood. It is a melancholy fact that, by reason of uncleanness, we have almost lost regard for the type of puritanic manhood which in the past held aloft the standard of a chaste and holy life, such men in this day are spoken of as, too slow, as, weak need, and, goody-goody, men, let me recall that word, the fast and indecently dressed, things, the animals of easy virtue, the, respectable, courtesans that flirt, chaff, gamble, 
and waltz with well-known high-class licentious lepers such is the ideal of womanhood which a large proportion of our large city society accepts, fawns upon, and favors. 12. Shameful conditions. Perhaps one of the most inhuman and shameful conditions of modern fashionable society, both in England and America, is that which wealthy men and women who are married destroy their own children in the embryo stage of being, and become murderers thereby. This is done to prevent what should become one of our chief glories. This, large and well-developed transcribers note, the text appears to read, home, but it is unclear and family life. The prostitution of men. Cause and remedy. 1. Exposed youth. Generally even in the beginning of the period when sexual uneasiness begins to show itself in the boy, he is exposed in schools, institutes, and elsewhere to the temptations of secret vice, which is transmitted from youth to youth like a contagious corruption, and which in thousands destroys the first germs of virility. Countless numbers of boys are addicted to these vices for years, that they do not in the beginning of nascent puberty proceed to sexual intercourse with women, is generally due to youthful timidity, which dares not reveal its desire, or from want of experience for finding opportunities, the desire is there, for the heart is already corrupted. 2. Boyhood timidity overcome. Too often a common boy's timidity is overcome by chance or by seduction, which is rarely lacking in great cities where prostitution is flourishing, and thus numbers of boys immediately after the transition period of youth, in accordance with the previous secret practice, accustom themselves to the association with prostitute women, and their young manhood and morals are soon lost forever. 3. Marriage Bed Resolutions Most men of the educated classes enter the marriage bed with the consciousness of leaving behind them a whole army of prostitutes or seduced women, in whose arms they cooled their passions and spent the vigor of their youth. But with such a past the married man does not at the same time leave behind him its influence on his inclinations, the habit of having a feminine being at his disposal for every rising appetite, and the desire for change inordinately indulged for years, generally make themselves felt again as soon as the honeymoon is over. Marriage will not make a morally corrupt man all at once a good man and a model husband. 4. The injustice of man. Now, although many men are in a certain sense not worthy to unloose the latchet of the shoes of the commonest woman, much less to unfasten her girdle, yet they make the most extravagant demands on the feminine sex. Even the greatest debauchee, who has spent his vigor in the arms of a hundred courtesans, will cry out fraud and treachery if he does not receive his newly married bride as an untouched virgin. Even the most dissolute husband will look on his wife as deserving of death if his daily infidelity is only once reciprocated. 5. Unjust demands. The greater the injustice a husband does to his wife, the less he is willing to submit to from her, the oftener he becomes unfaithful to her, the stricter he is in demanding faithfulness from her. We see that despotism nowhere denies its own nature, the more a despot deceives and abuses his people, the more submissiveness and faithfulness he demands of them. 6. Suffering women, who can be astonished at the many unhappy marriages, if he knows how unworthy most men are of their wives, their virtues they rarely can appreciate, and their vices they generally call out by their own. Thousands of women suffer from the results of a mode of life of which they, having remained pure in their thought, have no conception whatever, and many unsuspecting wife nurses her husband with tenderest care in sicknesses which are nothing more than the consequences of his amours with other women. 7. An inhuman criminal. When at last, after long years of delusion and endurance, the scales drop from the eyes of the wife, 
and revenge or despair drives her into a hostile position towards her lord and master. She is an inhuman criminal, and the hue and cry against the fickleness of women and the falsity of their nature is endless. Oh, the injustice of society and the injustice of cruel man. Is there no relief for helpless women that are bound by the ties of marriage to men who are nothing but rotten corruption? 8. Vulgar Desire The habit of regarding the end and aim of woman only from the most vulgar side not to respect in her the noble human being, but to see in her only the instrument of sensual desire is carried so far among men that they will allow it to force into the background considerations among themselves, which they otherwise pretend to rank very high. 9. The Only Remedy but when the feeling of women has once been driven to indignation with respect to the position which they occupy, it is to be hoped that they will compel men to be pure before marriage, and they will remain loyal after marriage. 10. Worse than savages. With all our civilization we are put to shame even by the savages. The savages know of no fastidiousness of the sexual instinct and of no brothels. We are, indeed, likewise savages, but in quite a different sense. Proof of this is especially furnished by our youth, but that our students, and young men in general, usually pass through the school of corruption and drag the filth of the road which they have traversed before marriage along with them throughout life, is not their fault so much as the fault of prejudices and of our political and social conditions that prohibits a proper education, and the placing of the right kind of literature on these subjects into the hands of young people. 11. Reason and Remedy keep the youth pure by a thorough system of plain and restricted training. The seeds of immorality are sown in youth, and the secret vice eats out their young manhood often before the age of puberty. They develop a bad character as they grow older. Young girls are ruined, and licentiousness and prostitution flourish. Keep the boys pure and the harlot would soon lose her vocation. Elevate the morals of the boys, and you will have pure men and moral husbands. The road to shame. 1. Insult to mother or our sister. Young men, it can never tinder any circumstances be right for you to do to a woman that, which, if another man did to your mother or sister, you could never forgive. The very thought is revolting. Let us suppose a man guilty of this shameful sin, and I apprehend that each of us would feel ready to shoot the villain. We are not justifying the shooting, but appealing to your instinctive sense of right, in order to show the enormity of this fearful crime, and to fasten strong conviction in your mind against this sin. 2. A ruined sister. What would you think of a man, no matter what his wealth, culture, or gentlemanly bearing, who should lay himself out for the seduction and shame of your beloved sister? Her very name now reminds you of the purest affection, think of her, if you can bear it, ruined in character, and soon to become an unhappy mother. To whom can you introduce her? What can you say concerning her? How can her own brothers and sisters associate with her? And, Mark, all this personal and relative misery caused by this genteel villain's degrading passion. 3. Young man lost. Another terrible result of this sin is the practical overthrow of natural affection which it affects. A young man comes from his father's house to Chicago, either through his own lust or through the corrupt companions that he finds in the house of business where he resides. He becomes the companion of lewd women. The immediate result is a bad conscience, a sense of shame and a breach in the affections of home. Lepers are less frequent, careless, and brief. He cannot manifest true love now. He begins to shrink from his sister and mother, and while he may, for, the harlot's influence, he has spent the strength of his affection and love for home, 
In their stead the wretched harlot has filled him with an holy lust. His brain and heart refuse to yield him the love of the son and brother. His hand cannot write as aforetime, or at best, his expressions become a hypocritical pretense, fallen into the degradation of the fornicator. He has changed to mother's love and sister's affection for the cursed fellowship of the woman whose house is the way to hell. Prof. VII. 27. 5. The way of death. Observe, that directly the law of God is broken, and wherever promiscuous intercourse between the sexes takes place, gonorrhea, syphilis, and every other form of venereal disease is seen in hideous variety. It is only true to say that thousands of both sexes are slain annually by these horrible diseases. What must be the moral enormity of a sin, which, when committed, produces in vast numbers of cases such frightful physical and moral destruction as that which is here portrayed? 6. A harlot's woes. Would to God that something might be done to rescue fallen women from their low estate. We speak of them as, fallen women. Fallen. Indeed, they are, but surely not more deserving of the application of that term than the, fallen men, who are their partners and paramours. It is easy to use the words, a fallen woman, but who can apprehend all that is involved in the expression, seeing that every purpose for which God created woman is prostituted and destroyed. She is now neither maiden, wife, nor mother, the sweet names of sister and betrothed can have no legitimate application in her case. 7. The penalties for lost virtue. Can the harlot be welcomed where either children, brothers, sisters, wife, or husband are found? Surely. Mumber home is a sphere alien to the harlot's estate. See such an one wherever you may she is a fallen outcast from woman's high estate. Her existence for she does not live now culminates in one dread issue. This, prostitution. She sleeps, but awakes a harlot. She rises in the late morning hours, but her object is prostitution. She washes, dresses, and braids her hair, but it is with one foul purpose before her. To this end she eats, drinks, and is clothed. To this end her house is hidden and the blinds are drawn. 8. Lost forever. To this end she applies the unnatural cosmetic, and covers herself with sweet perfumes, which vainly try to hide her disease and shame. To this end she decks herself with dashing finery and tawdry trappings, and with bold, and womanly mean essays the streets of the great city. To this end she is loud and coarse and impudent. To this end she is the prostituted, lady, with simpering words and smiles, and glamour of refined deceit, to this end an angel face, a devil in disguise, there is one foul and ghastly purpose towards which all her energies now tend, so low has she fallen, so lost is she to all the design of woman, that she exists for one foul purpose only, viz, to excite, stimulate, and gratify the lusts of degraded, and godly men, verily, the word, prostitute, has an awful meaning, what plummet can sound the depths of a woman's fall who has become a harlot? 9. Sound the alarm. Remember, young man, you can never rise above the degradation of the companionship of lewd women. Your virtue once lost is lost forever. Remember, young woman, your wealth or riches is your good name and good character you have nothing else. Give a man your virtue and he will forsake you. And you will be forsaken by all the world. Remember that purity of purpose brings nobility of character, and an honorable life is the joy and security of mankind, the curse of manhood. 1. Moral lepers. We cannot but denounce, in the strongest terms, the profligacy of many married men, not content with the moderation permitted in the divine appointed relationship of marriage, 
they become adulterers. In order to gratify their accursed lust, the man in them is trodden down by the sensual beast which reigns supreme. These are the moral outlaws that make light of this scandalous social iniquity, and by their damnable example encourage young men to sin. 2. A sad condition. It is constantly affirmed by prostitutes, that amongst married men are found their chief supporters. Evidence from such a quarter must be received with considerable caution. Nevertheless, we believe that there is much truth in this statement. Here, again, we lay the axe to the root of the tree, the married man who dares affirm that there is a particle of physical necessity for this sin, is a liar, and the truth is not in him. Whether these men be princes, peers, legislators, professional men, mechanics, or workmen, they are moral pests, a scandal to the social state, and a curse to the nation. 3. Excesses. Many married men exhaust themselves by these excesses, they become irritable, liable to cold, to rheumatic affections, and nervous depression. They find themselves weary when they rise in the morning, and fitted for close application to business. They become dilatory and careless, often lapsing into entire lack of energy, and not seldom into the love of intoxicating stimulants. Numbers of husbands and wives entering upon these experiences lose the charm of health the cheerfulness of life and converse. Home duties become irksome to the wife, the brightness, vivacity, and bloom natural to her earlier years. Decline, she is spoken of as highly nervous, poorly, and weak, when the whole truth is that she is suffering from physical exhaustion which she cannot bear. Her features become angular, her hair prematurely gray. She rapidly settles down into the nervous invalid, constantly needing medical aid, and, if possible, Change of air. 4. Ignorance. These conditions are brought about in many cases through ignorance on the part of those who are married. Multitudes of men have neither read, heard, nor known the truth of this question. We sympathize with our fellow men in this, that we have been left in practical ignorance concerning the exceeding value and legitimate uses of these functions of our being. Some know, that, had they known these things in the early days of their married life, it would have proved to them knowledge of exceeding value. If this counsel is followed, thousands of homes will scarcely know the need of the physician's presence. 5. Animal Passion. Common sense teaches that children who are begotten in the heat of animal passion, are likely to be licentious when they grow up. Many parents through excesses of eating and drinking, become inflamed with wine and strong drink. They are sensualists, and consequently, morally diseased. Now. If in such conditions men beget their children, who can affect surprise if they develop licentious tendencies? Are not such parents largely to blame? Are they not criminals in a high degree? Have they not fouled their own nest, and transmitted to their children predisposition to moral evil? 6. Fast young men. Many of our fast young men have been thus corrupted, even as the children of the intemperate are proved to have been. Certainly no one can deny that many of our well-bred young men are little better than high-class dogs, so lawless are they, and ready for the arena of licentiousness. 7. The pure-minded wife. Happily, as tens of thousands of husbands can testify, the pure-minded wife and mother is not carried away, as men are liable to be, with the force of animal passion. Were it not so, the tendencies to licentiousness in many sons would be stronger than they are. In the vast majority of cases suggestion is never made except by the husband, and it is a matter of deepest gratitude and consideration, that the true wife may become a real helpmate in restraining this desire in the husband. 8. Young wife and children. 
We often hear it stated that a young wife has her children quickly. This cannot happen to the majority of women without injury to health and jeopardy to life. The law which rendered it imperative for the land to lie fellow in order to rest and gain renewed strength, is only another illustration of the unity which pervades physical conditions everywhere. It should be known that if a mother nurses her own babe, and the child is not weaned until it is nine or ten months old, the mother, except in rare cases, will not become enceinte again, though cohabitation with the husband takes place. 9. Selfish and unnatural conduct. It is natural and rational that a mother should feed her own children, in the selfish and unnatural conduct of many mothers, who, to avoid the self-denial and patience which are required, hand the little one over to the wet nurse, or to be brought up by hand, is found in many cases the cause and reason of the unnatural haste of childbearing. Mothers need to be taught that the laws of nature cannot be broken without penalty. For every woman whose health has been weakened through nursing her child, a hundred have lost strength and health through marital excesses. The haste of having children is the costly penalty which women pay for shirking the mother's duty to the child. 10. Law of God. So graciously has the law of God been arranged in regard to the mother's strength, that, if it be obeyed, there will be, as a rule, an interval of at least from 18 months to 2 years between the birth of one child and that of another. Every married man should abstain during certain natural seasons. In this periodical recurrence God has instituted to every husband the law of restraint, and insisted upon self-control. 11. To young people who are married, be exceedingly careful of license and excess in your intercourse with one another. Do not needlessly expose, by undress, the body. Let not the purity of love degenerate into unholy lust. See to it that you walk according to the divine word dwelling together as being heirs of the grace of life, that your prayers be not hindered. 12. Lost flowers. Many young men after their union show a marked difference. They lost much of their natural vivacity, energy, and strength of voice. Their powers of application, as businessmen, students, and ministers, had declined, as also their enterprise, fervor, and kindliness. They had become irritable, dull, pale, and complaining. Many cases of rheumatic fever have been induced through impoverishment, caused by excesses on the part of young married men. 13. Middle age. After middle age the sap of a man's life declines in quantity. A man who intends close application to the ministry, to scientific or literary pursuits, where great demands are made upon the brain, must restrain this passion. The supplies for the brain and nervous system are absorbed, and the seed diverted through sexual excesses in the marriage relationship by fornication, or by any other form of immorality, the man's power must decline, that to this very cause may be attributed the failure and breakdown of so many men of middle age. 14. Intoxicating drinks. By all means avoid intoxicating drinks, immorality and alcoholic stimulants, as we have shown, are intimately related to one another. Wine and strong drink inflame the blood, and heat the passions, attacking the brain, they warp the judgment and weaken the power of restraint. Avoid what is called good living, it is madness to allow the pleasures of the table to corrupt and corrode the human body. We are not designed for gourmands, much less for educated pigs. Cold water bathing, water as a beverage, simple and wholesome food, regularity of sleep, plenty of exercise, games such as cricket, football, tennis, boating, or bicycling, are among the best possible preventives against lust and animal passion. 15. Beware of idleness. 
Indolent leisure means an unoccupied mind. When young men lounge along the streets, in this condition they become an easy prey to the sisterhood of shame and death. Bear in mind that evil thoughts precede evil actions. The hand of the worst thief will not steal until the thief within operates upon the hand without. The members of the body which are capable of becoming instruments of sin, are not involuntary actors. Lustful desires must proceed from brain and heart, ere the fire that consumes burns in the member. A private talk to young men. 1. The most valuable and useful organs of the body are those which are capable of the greatest dishonor, abuse and corruption. What a snare the wonderful organism of the eye may become when used to read corrupt books or look upon licentious scenes at the theater, or when used to meet the fascinating gaze of the harlot. What an instrument for depraving the whole man may be found in the matchless powers of the brain, the hand, the ear, the mouth, or the tongue. What potent instruments may these become in accomplishing the ruin of the whole being for time and eternity? 2. In like manner the organ concerning the uses of which I am to speak has been, and continues to be, made one of the chief instruments of man's immorality, shame, disease, and death. How important to know what the legitimate uses of this member of the body are, and how great the dignity conferred upon us in the possession of this gift. On the human side this gift may be truly said to bring men nearer to the high and solemn relationship of the Creator than any other which they possess. 3. I first deal with the destructive sin of self-abuse. There can be little doubt that vast numbers of boys are guilty of this practice. In many cases the degrading habit has been taught by others, e.g. by elder boys at school, where association largely results in mutual corruption. With others, the means of sensual gratification is found out by personal action, whilst in other cases fallen and depraved men have not hesitated to debauch the minds of mere children by teaching them this debasing practice. For Thousands of youths and young men have only to use the looking glass to see the portrait of one guilty of this loathsome sin. The effects are plainly discernible in the boy's appearance. The face and hands become pale and bloodless. The eye is destitute of its natural fire and luster. The flesh is soft and flabby. The muscles limp and lacking healthy firmness. In cases where the habit has become confirmed, and where the system has been drained of this vital force, it is seen in positive ugliness. In a pale and cadaverous appearance, slovenly gait, slouching walk, and an impaired memory. 5. It is obvious that if the most vital physical force of a boy's life is being spent through this degrading habit of habit, be it observed, of rapid growth, great strength, and difficult to break he must develop badly. In thousands of cases the result is seen in a low stature, contracted chest, weak lungs, and liability to sore throat, tendency to cold, indigestion depression, drowsiness, and idleness, are results distinctly traceable to this deadly practice, pallor of countenance, nervous and rheumatic affections, loss of memory, epilepsy, paralysis, and insanity find their principal predisposing cause in the same shameful waste of life, the want of moral force.